Hello everyone, this is Trevor with Tea Time Reports. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. This is a special one. I'm doing a kind of like a movie discussion with my grandmother, Mom Mom, aka, well, aka Mom Mom, but um, to the show you may have heard her ballad episode in season one, um, Sharon, or Friel, if you will, but there's been a bunch of uh, movies I've showed her this past year. Um, and we do plan on watching some more, obviously, but I showed her some of the essentials, um, regarding movies I've actually talked about on the podcast before, but not at length or anything like that, but, um, the first movie that I showed her was a movie called The Grey, if you know me, you know I love this movie, came out in, uh, 2012, uh, January 27th, 2012, Release date for streaming was November 4th, 2016. Made over $50 million in the U.S. Runtime a little under two hours. Um, Directed by Joe Carnahan. Probably his best movie. Uh, Before we get into it, we'll talk about the movie information so you guys have some context on this film. Following a grueling five-week shift at an Alaskan oil refinery, workers led by sharpshooter John Otway, a.k.a. Liam Neeson, are flying home for a much-needed vacation. A brutal storm causes their plane to crash in the frozen wilderness, and only eight men uh, survive, including John Otway, obviously. As they trek southward towards civilization and safety, Otway and his companions must battle mortal injuries, the icy elements, and a pack of hungry wolves. This movie on Rotten Tomatoes has an 80%. The audience only gave it a 61%, one of the few times I've seen the audience give it a worse score than, um, than Rotten Tomatoes, at least out of the movies I've talked about on the podcast. Um, But out of 10, I give this a 10. This is one of my favorite movies. But, um, Mama, what were your favorite parts about about The Grey? I mean, there's besides Liam Neeson's phenomenal performance, Frank Grillo was really good as Diaz, Dermot Mulroney was good as Talget, Dallas Robert uh, as Henrik, uh, and James Badgedale with that cameo. Um, what would you say about this movie that needs to be said? Well, I think the first thing in thinking about this movie, I find I go, it's a very deep movie. And the more I think about it, the more I find other things going on. In the beginning, it just seems like a movie about survival. And as I'm watching them survive the plane crash, the eight that did survive, I'm thinking what will happen is they will find civilization. They, you know, they're on their way, and then all of a sudden they begin to die one by one, and they're being killed by wolves who just keep attacking them, won't leave them alone. And we find out at the end of the movie why yeah. they're going after them. Um, it's definitely not uh, surface level. Yeah. Um, it does have those really good action moments, but you're right, it's a lot deeper than that. Uh, the religious aspects of mm-hmm. it are brought into this movie heavily um my favorite part about this movie i think in my personal opinion obviously this is liam neeson's best or second best performance you know probably you can argue schindler's list ahead of it but i've seen both of these movies and honestly he created this character from scratch or at least him and a team of writers did and it just works especially I feel like there's only so far you can go with writing for Liam Neeson. He just kind of takes it away on the mm-hmm. camera. And he really did um, for John Otway. Really good character. But so on the solo show for me was Frank Grillo. He plays Diaz. Just an angry asshole in yeah, a sense. Yes, he was, definitely. But he was 
probably <clears throat> mainly because he was more scared than anyone else, most likely. Um, and you see the parallels between the wolf pack and the human pack. And you can see the similarities of like the hierarchy, the structure, dominance, you know, the Omega. You learn a lot about wolves in, in this movie in a, in a weird way, but John Otway is literally a guy that kills kills wolves to keep those oilers and those machine workers safe out in Alaska. They were in a very desolate and remote like location, and when the plane went down, I mean... Gosh, no one was going to find them, especially in the right. conditions they were in, a massive blizzard, and they were moving to get away from the wolves, and, you know, John Otway didn't make all it, he didn't probably make the best choices here and there, but he was the leader of the the remaining survivors, just because that, that was his personality, and Diaz always challenged him, um, and you hear a challenge from the wolves, actually, as well, and the alpha puts it down, is what John Otway said, and he had a, literally a challenge like two minutes after that with Diaz, and he put that one down. But the one thing I do, I mean, you know, when you say that John Outway was the sniper who was killing wolves, but do you remember the the part where there was a wolf that was dying and he was almost? Oh yeah, that was the beginning of the movie. Yeah, he was trying to help it die peacefully, and it was like, wow. I, I don't think. See, I, I agree with you, like, there was extra parts to that, but I think he was, like, just seeing what it felt like to die. Oh, okay. Um, Cause I never thought, okay. in the opening, great narration, great poem. By his father. Well, yeah, by the father, yeah, but he, he referenced it, like, Liam Neeson was narrating that opening scene and talking about how he just, uh, he thinks he, one of the lines in it is, like, I imagine I moved as the damned do cursed lost mm -hmm. and like he just feels like he had, you learn everything about his character right there um mm -hmm. talking about like you know he lost his wife she left him doesn't specify how or why she's gone now i can never get her back i mean obviously watching it now is like as i'm an older person compared to when i watched it as a little kid i probably could have put that together but if you watch the movie for the first time you genuinely wouldn't have guessed it I thought at first that she left him. Yeah, because he was just an alcoholic, <clears throat> uh -huh. just drinking and killing wolves. I mean, that's not really a good existence. You probably hate yourself. Exactly. Um, but it just got into that, and then the the famous poem of the movie that um, is actually formed around, I believe, a song called John's Walk. And uh, it goes, no, there's no title or lines or anything. Well, uh, there's four lines, no title. Um, and it's uh, once more into the gray, into the last good fight I'll ever know. Live and die on this day. Live and die on this day. And honestly, that just sums up the whole movie in a weird way. Because every human survivor, their death was, I wouldn't say cinematic, but like they were all, they all had a significant ending to them. Mm -hmm. uh, if you think about Talget, you know, he fell off a tree after trying to climb over a cliff to a yes. peak of a tree fell and probably broke every bone in his body, still alive, and his last moments, he didn't even realize he was getting torn apart by wolves, he thought his little daughter was brushing yes. her hair over his face like she would, and he told a story about that, that campfire scene, it's a great scene, um, where they're asking each other, do you believe in God, and I, they, it doesn't get seriously religious until it's just Liam Neeson, mm -hmm. you remember that scene where 
he's just crying out to God. Yes, he's like, yes. fuck faith, earn it. Show me something real. Yeah. And it just, the camera just stays there. You just hear the birds, you hear the, you I know. the line he says, when he says, okay, I'll have to do it on my own. He's like, yeah, I gotta do it by myself. Yeah, okay. I mean, in a way, he was already doing that the whole time. Yes. But he always, I guess, was looking for something more. And honestly, in a place like that, there's not much of God around. In a dish, like, kind of chaotic, you know, desolate area, dead trees. Beautiful area, though, uh, from what they showed. I believe they filmed it, uh, filmed this movie. Um, I don't know where they... I, I think Argentina, but I'm not too sure. I know in some of those shots, Liam Neeson was legitimately freezing. Um, oh, I kept thinking, wow, I, <laughs> I would not have wanted to be in it. doesn't matter how much money you make. It was so cold. Up, yes, it was just... You know, the other thing <clears throat> you were saying, you know, remember the fellow that was dying because he was bleeding out? In the plane, this is when... The, oh, yeah, the no, James, I wanted to talk about that scene, oh. but yeah, go ahead. Well, I was thinking what he told him, the sense that sticks in my mind was, who do you love? Mm-hmm. Not saying to him, you're going to be okay, you're going to make it, you're going to be... Just, who do you love? I, I love James Badgedale. He's an, actually an acclaimed, like a legitimate actor who's carried a movie before, and this, he's only in it for five minutes. And I feel like it was perfect. Because yeah. a guy that could act, like, really well, like, I, I feel like if he couldn't act, he would have, that scene would have yeah. sucked. Right. Like, right when they crash, John Otway goes and finds the plane, finds the remaining survivors, James Badgedale's character is bleeding out pretty profusely. It, he's, he's done. Like, he, but he's still, like, scavenging. There's like, what's, you know, what's all this blood? Like, this isn't good. And... Everyone else besides John Otway was frantic. And it's actually funny. John Diaz was actually calm in that scene, too. But everyone else was like, oh, my God, crying. And John's like... And this is this goes back to that opening scene with the wolf where he was feeling it die. Like, he had his hands on it. That's how he knew the answer. He's like, you know, you're dying, man. It's going to feel warm, like a blanket coming over you. It'll feel nice. Who do you love? And then he's like, my little girl Rosie, yeah, she's nice. six, and he's like, let her take you. And, you know, right before the dude dies, he's like, wait for me. He whispers oh, it, you can't hear it, but it, it, that scene, like, that shows oh, that you. could make me cry when it, I... it can, it can, because it, it was so well done. Um, just every aspect of the movie, like, the dramatization to the... Even though I'm just trekking through the snow, it just felt like a very human movie. You, you said this, I think, after we watched it, but this movie shows the human spirit, um, mm-hmm. just the we will to survive. To, yes, we want to live. We For, hold on to it with all our might. Yeah, you do. Everyone does. And mm-hmm. it's one of those things where this is a unique situation. I haven't really known many movies about like wolves, but you could go into this, watch the trailer, and be like, "Oh, it's Liam Neeson, probably right. just killing a bunch of wolves." Exactly. Like, but this is a this is a legitimate journey. Or you think, "Oh, it's a movie. Am I going to root for the wolves, or am I going to root for the humans?" And it doesn't come down no, to that at no. all. And you know, they talked about it. Literally, the first night of the crash, all the survivors, uh, Liam Neeson's going over. Uh, wolves have, like, a territorial kill range of over 300 miles. 
and if you're within a 30 mile marker of their den they are legitimately fearless they will not stop coming at you so the entire time they're like yo let's head south screw it let's do it but they were walking towards the den the entire time no one knew obviously um but on the way there a death that i mean obviously all death impacts you but in movie terms uh diaz trying to get down the talget uh he like fell off the trees dislocated his ankle probably destroyed his knee scraped up his back real good they were walking and on the stony shores of some like river um right under like a mountain like range and he's like yeah i'm done and he just sits down they finally introduce each other because up to that point no one knew each other's first name it was just like yo otway yo burke yo talget you know um john diaz it was like i'm i whatever i had in the tank i left it back there you know you hear the wolves rustling in the bushes while they're talking hear them howling and John and um, Hendrick, they have to they have to get out of there. So they had no time to really fight him on it. But he's like, you see that mountain range? Like that's all for me. I've never had anything like this. He had nothing to go back to. Yeah, he's he's like, what the fuck do I got to go yeah. back to? And it's like, yikes. that's a realistic way of putting it, but a horrible way to go. They don't show him actually die. So you know, you leave it up to your imagination. I like when a director does that. Maybe he passed peacefully after bleeding out but you know right before the flash of to cut like transition to um john otway and hendrick walking further down and you hear the wolves like approach really fast so you you know he was probably torn to pieces um but a guy that actually still had hope he had like a gps like watch thing he's like for hope here you go like he didn't want to go but you could tell he didn't want to not right. escape it either. Like, he was walking hand in hand with, like, his fate. He um, accepted. Yeah. More than anyone ever. Yeah. Probably as much as John Otway did at mm-hmm. the end. But it's funny that both of them were named John. Like, that oh, was the best part I, about it. They hated right each other. My... Oh, okay. And when they introduce each other, he's like, my name's John. And he's like, and Otway leans down. And he's like, John Otway. And he's like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> you know, like... It's crazy how similar you can be when you, you know, look deeper past, like, the surface. But, uh, real quick, before we give our rating out of 10, we gotta look at some of the critics and what they said. I like to go over a couple quotes, but according to Whale Carey, the gray, quote-unquote, explores man's most frightening questions if there's an afterlife or if dead is dead, our fear of heights, flights, drowning, or dying alone. I like that quote. That's uh, that's true. Um, according to Brian Eggert, an unforgivably brutal, brilliantly acted, yes. beautifully shot motion picture. I agree with that as well. According to James Crute, all this talk could have been dull, but Carnahan keeps it interesting mm-hmm. via extensive use of intimate, close-up, almost claustrophobic shots. I agree with that. It was very yes. gritty, like handheld most of the time, especially when the characters are getting ambushed by the wolves, running down the hill, the snow's kicking up, and you can tell they're knee-deep in snow, they can barely move, like, really, like, realistic shots. Mm -hmm. Um, Last one before we give our rating here. According to Jim Ross, anyone going in wanting more than it says, um, says it says on the tin will pleasantly, 
will be oh my gosh let me retry this <laughs> anyone going in wanting more than it says on the tin will be pleasantly surprised but a little frustrated at the end product um and we'll give one more actually this says this one apparently gave it a shit review uh, Brian D. Johnson gave it. You have you have to hand it to Neeson. However, this is one stubbornly committed performance as he faces the um, Herculean. Herculean task of defeating the wolves, the cold, and some monstrous flaws in the script. Mm. Okay, I I mean some I, I can see some of the writing being a little lackluster, but I thought it was through and through pretty well done. Um, but out of 10, Mom, Mom, what would you give this? Everyone knows I'd give this a 10 out of 10. But what about you? I would probably give it a 9. Maybe even a, um, I, maybe even a 10. After I've had time to really think about the movie again, I missed the first time I saw it. And the first time I talked about it, I realized I was missing a lot of things. And, and as I went back over, I mean, this is a movie I could see again. Mm-hmm. Definitely has rewatch value. Um... Excuse my water bottle pop in there. Excuse me, folks. Um, but moving on to the next movie, which I'm glad you enjoyed The Gray. Yes. Everyone out there, if you're watching, watch The Gray. Yep. Um, but this next movie is called Warrior. It came out in uh, September 9th, 2011. Release date for streaming was September 10th, 2013. Box office gross in the U.S. was a little over $13 million. Runtime over two hours. Distributed by Lions Gates, and um, uh, the sound mix was by SDDS and Dolby Digital and DTS. Um, directed by Gavin O'Connor, produced by Gavin O'Connor, and I imagine his brother Greg O'Connor. Written by Gavin O'Connor, Anthony Tabakis, and Cliff Dorfman. This movie was awesome. I've watched this movie about five, six times now. It's probably my favorite Tom Hardy movie. Um, but Joel Edgerton plays Brandon. Tom Hardy plays Tommy. Nick Nolte plays Patty. Phenomenal performance. Mm -hmm. he, he was amazing in this. Um, Jennifer Morrison plays Tess. Frank Grillo plays Frank Capanna. Funny that we're talking about Frank Grillo yes. twice. He's a great actor. I love what he's in and love his career, honestly. Um, but giving some movie information for context. An estranged family finds redemption in the unlikeliest of places, the MMA ring. Tommy, a.k.a. Tom Hardy, an ex-Marine with a tragic past, returns home and enlists his father, a.k.a. Nick Nolte, a recovering alcoholic and former wrestling coach, to train him for quote-unquote Sparta, the biggest MMA tournament ever held. But when Tommy's underdog brother, Brendan, a.k.a. Joel Edgerton, fights his way into the tournament, the two brothers must finally confront each other and the forces that pulled them apart. Uh, that's a perfect way to describe this movie, in all honesty. Uh, Joel Edgerton plays Brendan, like I said earlier. He was great, uh, the underdog of the movie. You know, undersized, not as strong, but technically full sound. His takedowns and of this movie. Like, the fighting scenes and choreography are just awesome in this movie. Very, You felt like you're there. It's not, you know, up to that, like, you're watching UFC level, but for a movie, really well done. Tom Hardy plays Tommy, like I said, an ex-Marine who went AWOL. But on his way out of going AWOL, he, like, rescued people out of a fucking tank, ripped the door off, like, absolute menace. Um, and when you watch him, he's just full of anger, knows nothing but how to hate, and uh, he has to learn to get over that. Brendan, kind of the only normal guy that, you know, <laughs> out of the family. Yes. Um, 
but you know he has a wife, two kids, but he's struggling financially, pretty bad actually. But he's a teacher, and then he goes in to fight against quote unquote these animals, and he you know does what he has to do. Great takedowns, and him and Tommy they wind up meeting at the championship round for a large sum of money. Brandon's movie, uh, his motivation, excuse me, is obviously motivational. Um, by money, like he needs money, like he really does need the money to support his family, keep them from going down in life, as he always said. I want, to, I don't want to move back into the apartment. I want to keep going up. He doesn't want to like have any setbacks, and I, I respect that. And they said this in the movie. At least Frank Grillo's character did, who is Brendan's trainer in this, very gritty guy. But he's like, if you don't knock him out, you don't have a home. Like, you don't have a home. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And like, I don't know how you don't go in there and at least give it all you got. You yeah. know, and he did. Uh, he winds up, you know, beating Tommy, whose reasons were also obviously for the money, but to give them to a, a one of his Marine brothers who passed in, in the line of uh, duty. He, like, wanted to give all the money to the family of him so that his kids and wife could, you know, never have to worry about anything ever again, but... He was going at it the wrong way. He was trying to use his pops just for the advantage of training, uh, food, just to treat him like shit, and honestly use him as an outlet. Uh, and that's just not way, not any way to treat anyone who's especially trying to change. Patty, played by Nick Nolte, went. He had a whole character change. He beat his wife, beat his kids, alcoholic, to now trying to reach out, be a better person. Like, a lot of his past is vague, but you can only imagine the terrible things he did to these guys to mm-hmm. make them think what they do about him. And to turn them against one another. Yeah. They yeah. hated each other. Yeah. And it's because Tommy left when they were younger with his mom, with their mom, excuse me, and mm-hmm. she passed because of sickness, and Brendan stayed for the lady that he now married uh, and to stay with his dad because he said this in the movie, I just I stayed so I could get you all to myself. Because he was probably never paid attention to yeah, and neglected. Tommy was the his golden haired child. I mean, that's he was the he was the golden and, boy. And he left him. Yeah, and that just shows you the edges that he pushed them to. But Nick Nolte, just if you watch this movie, he'll blow you away. He was amazing. I like Nick Nolte. I have liked many of the movies I've seen him in, but he really was. I mean, the the things they would say to him and Tommy, especially. The stuff he heaped on him, and Nick Nolte just took it almost he, like he, yeah, I, he I deserved this. this, yeah. But he still stood by them, mm-hmm. still tried to do what he could, and uh, you got to respect that about it. But you know, shout out to Frank Grillo and Kevin Dunn, the guy that was in Transformers, played Sam Wicky's dad, uh, some side characters that you know brought the movie together. Um, but obviously, it was really cool to see something like this because. I don't think I've seen an MMA movie like this where they tie in something so personal and it kind of lines up with how the fights are going, how like an unstoppable force is going to meet an immovable object. Mm-hmm. And it was just crazy to see that. But the tomato meter on RottenTomatoes.com gave it an 84%. The audience gave it a 92%. I would definitely give this movie a 9 out of 10. What about uh, yourself, yes, my mom? My, also. Nine. I, <laughs> if you... When you first told me the movie and then you were and it was about MMA, I was thinking, I don't know if I'm going to enjoy this movie, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, no, the writing was really good in my opinion. I, I liked the storyline. I liked everything about 
like the actual filmmaking aspect of this movie. They incorporated Philly and Pittsburgh into it, kind of like Brendan was representing Philly, and mm-hmm. then Tommy was the Berg. You know, I just thought that was cool. Tommy was you didn't see her not die. You didn't, and so he was blaming Brendan for you just deserted mom, and yeah. Tommy was doing, and then Brendan was doing the same to Tommy. You deserted Dad. I mean, it was like. Well, I think he, like Brendan, he, like when they actually talked before they fought, uh, Brendan was like, "I never even got to say goodbye to her. I didn't, right. you know." But then, you know, Tommy's like, "You knew the game plan. You knew yeah. all the information. You decided to do what you did with it." Yeah. So both parties were at fault, but exactly. they just couldn't forgive each other. What it took was a, a beatdown from the older brother. It took getting both of them, I think, b- making them vulnerable and allowing themselves to be vulnerable to that other person. Mm. And you saw that, especially during the fight. I mean, mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. end of it, they didn't even stop to talk to the press. Tommy didn't at all. But uh, they just walked right out and just didn't stop, like, hugging each other because, yeah. you know, that was... That was a whole journey right there, and uh, five, six. I don't even know. How, I don't even remember how many rounds it was. I'm pretty sure it was three. Uh, whatever, how many rounds it was? A journey of a lifelong amount of problems, kind of just solved in a fight. I felt such relief when he finally tapped out. Is that what they call it? Yeah, like tap, Tommy, tap. Yes, tap. And he just was. He wanted to die. It seems exactly. before. Exactly. Like he, and then all of a sudden, I was like, maybe I don't want to die. You know, and that goes into the human spirit aspect mm-hmm. we were talking about in the gray, but especially in this one, a, a guy that was ferocious, angry, hatred, like hatred full, and then Brandon, a guy that is just, he, his motivation was different. Mm-hmm. Like he was doing it for something else other than just, I'm going to go destroy you, you and know? he had something to do it for. Yeah. Where Tommy just had, as you said, just destroy things. That that was his. Aim. He still had people but to do it for, he, but like they weren't. It's not like as significant as right. like the current direct problem of Brendan about to be evicted from right. his home with his two little girls. You just like that's a yeah. different animal. I mm-hmm, feel like, mm-hmm. and they brought that into the movie very well and showed the grittiness of it. And I thought that was pretty pretty well done. But both of us gave it a nine out of ten. Let's read some critic reviews real quick. Um, just to see what we think about these people talking about it. Brian Eggert, who actually did do a, a review for The Grey. That's pretty cool. Um, these stars deliver the goods in abundance, even if the audiences must suffer through some oblig- uh, oblig- eh, obligatory uh, training montages to get it. Okay, yeah, there was there was a couple. Oh, <laughs> that, that's Yeah, that's like kind of a given in fighting movies. Um, Keith Garlington said the MMA action is bone jarring and brutal you can feel each punch and kick but at its core this is a brilliant and heartfelt character study brought to life by some strong acting and a rock solid script according to Don Shanahan the journey the characters uh, the journey the the eh, the journey the characters take to get there sucks you in and melts the inherent predictability away I agree because like if you watch this movie for the first time you don't know who's gonna win. No, no. You really don't. I thought um, it would be Tommy. Yeah, no. That he's the undeniable like favorite, right? Exactly. He's a freak of nature and a former marine who ripped the door off a tank. Um, I liked some of the actual MMA and UFC guys they brought in for the movie, the announcers and stuff, and 
that was pretty cool to kind of keep it like that. And any last thoughts for Warrior Mama? No, except that it, <laughs> this is also another movie I could see again. True. What would you say the main draw of it was for you after watching it? The main draw is probably redemption. Mm. I mean, they all, in one way or another, obtained redemption for whatever they thought. I mean, Brandon may have been redeemed by the fact he never even saw his... He never got to see his mother before she died. But he could see her through Tommy. Mm. And Nick Nolte definitely, that healing that took place, he falls off the wagon, but I think he's going to stay on the wagon now. Yeah. Because of Tommy... The part where Tommy goes in, he'd fallen off the wagon, he was drunk. Yeah, broken his thousand days. Yeah. Tommy goes in and sits on the bed and is holding him. Because he caused it. Right before that, it's when he threw the poker chips in Mm -hmm. his face and he's like, get out of here. Where were you? Where was this guy when I needed you? Everything's already happened. Right. But he admitted that, and again, I just, I thought that was... I love that scene. No, there was redemption. Like you said, that's a great way to put it. This was a very redeeming movie mm-hmm. for, uh, honestly, everyone. Yep. And uh, everyone got what they deserved, for sure. And I also did like the one character that was training Brandon. I liked him a lot. Yeah, that's Frank Grillo's character, Frank Campana. Oh, okay. It's funny, he's played a character named Frank in a lot of his movies. <laughs> um, not like the Grey, but in other but movies no. he has. But uh, he, he was very motivational, unconventional, believed in Brandon, gave him a shot. Um, and Frank Grillo just delivers a really awesome performance as usual. He's one of my favorite actors of all time. I love I, him. So far, I've liked him in both of these movies. He was just in a movie, actually, um, Lamborghini. He plays Lamborghini. Oh. Yeah, and I heard it was pretty decent. I want to watch that. Uh, maybe we can watch that next. Yeah. You never know. Um, but moving forward to... I think my favorite movie of all time. Uh, This movie is done by a director who's possibly the best director of this century as well, Christopher Nolan. Um, The Prestige is this movie's name and title, obviously. The release date was October 20th, 2006, before Halloween, some magic for sure in 06. Release date for streaming, November 23rd, 2015. Box office gross in the U.S. was over $53 million dollars. Runtime, north of two hours. Distributor, Buena Vista. Production company, New Market Productions. Uh, directed by Christopher Nolan. Produced by Christopher Nolan, Aaron Ryder, and Emma Thomas. Written by Jonathan Nolan and Christopher Nolan. Uh, this is like a drama, mystery, fantasy, thriller, if you will. Um, giving some movie information for context. An illusion gone horribly wrong pits two 19th century magicians, Alfred Borden, played by Christian Bale, and Rupert Angier, played by Hugh Jackman, against each other in a bitter battle for supremacy. Terrible consequences loom when they pair, the pair escalate their feud, each seeking not just to outwit, but to destroy the other man. And like I said, you heard big names there. Off rip, Hugh Jackman playing Rupert Angier. This is Hugh Jackman's best performance by far. Christian Bale plays Alfred Borden, who was stellar. Michael Caine plays Cutta. Um, Scarlett Johansson plays Olivia. Um, and Rebecca Hall plays Sarah Borden. Uh, and then, obviously, Piper Parabo plays Julia. Really solid performances all around. Really can't complain from any aspect of the cast and crew. Rupert Angier is a man who had his wife taken from him 
by Alfred Borden and his cockiness, but Rupert Angier's response wasn't to justify what he did, or try and get justice in a sense, but it was to literally steal the man's secrets, destroy his existence, his fiber, every fiber of his being, destroy his family's lives, ruin them, uh, take his daughter, and you see where that, that pretty much winds up Rupert Angier, we'll talk about that in a second, but on the other end of the spectrum, it was Alfred Borden taking things to an extreme from the get-go. You think it's multi-personality disorder, but uh, it's not. This man has a full-on twin playing a, uh, like a, a help, like a, an yeah. assistant to Alfred Borden, but it's literally just his twin brother. They both dedicate to playing Alfred Borden. They sacrifice everything for the play, for this trick, for the lie. And you'll hear both of them fight over these secrets, the secrets of their tricks, their magic tricks, and their illusions. They'll do anything for it. They bury each other. They shoot each other. They cut off their own fingers. There's so many aspects of this movie that are just absolutely insane. They literally get contraptions both made from Nikolai Tesla, who is also in this movie played by David Bowie. Phenomenal cameo performance. I did not recognize him as David Bowie yeah. until you said it's David Bowie. Yeah. Like, oh my god. Stellar. Um, but Alfred Borden, in essence, really started this feud and didn't help stop it by any any means. And Rupert Angier, he became obsessed mm -hmm. with not only illusion but secrecy. Uh, and he destroyed himself. He, he, he destroyed himself. Didn't for... He didn't care about anything or anybody. That scene where he says, I don't care about my wife. Yeah, you no, his that's wife... why he's trying to... The context him. behind that was Alfred Borden uh, killed his wife in a magic trick. Not intentionally, obviously, but they were testing limits that should not have been tested mm -hmm. and never admitted it to Rupert Angier. And that sparked the fume and sparked the beef, in a sense. Um, and, you know, Rupert Angier, literally, like you said in this scene, he's like, I don't care about my wife, I just care about his secrets. This was years after the incident, but he was so far into the rabbit hole of just dressing up to go see his shows, steal his acts. He was more of the showman. Alfred Borden was the magician. He was creating the magic that Rupert Angier would steal, theatricize, and exaggerate for the bigger audience and overall more notoriety. Um, Michael Caine playing Cutter was outstanding. He was really good. Yes. He he was the neutral ground between the two men. Between he besides you know the point where he like did wind up siding with Rupert Angier, um, but at the end of the movie he realized you know both these guys are going to hell. Let me just at least do the right thing. Um, do the right thing for the right person for the daughter. Yeah, and you'll see what we mean mm -hmm. by all of that when you watch the film. Um, Scarlett Johansson was really good. Piper uh, Parabo was really good as Julia. That was Rupert Angier's wife who died in the water tank trap at the beginning of the film. Sarah Borden is a really uh, good character as well, played by Rebecca Hall, who, you know, you don't know about the twin until later on in the movie, but, like, she always, like, do you even love me today? And he would say, not today. And then sometimes he'd say, yes, of course. And she's like, oh, today you mean it, others you don't. Yeah. It's because there was a whole other person impersonating the person that actually loved her, and vice versa with that other person. 
causing massive turmoil for two relationships in total of four, no, wait, yeah, four people. Ruining those, those, like, Scarlett Johansson, ruining Olivia, not really ruining, ruining her, she kind of gets out before she does, but Rebecca Hall's character winds up killing herself, because, uh, she was just drone to, drove to madness over, like, who is my husband, is he a magician? Some days he loves me, some days he doesn't, and, ah. Uh. And just a masterful liar, in, in essence, you know, because the fact that he was able to keep on the act, even though he knew what it was doing to these people, uh, is insane. But you watch the, in the in the opening first act of the movie, when Cutter sends Rupert Angier and Alfred Borden out to go watch this Chinese magician, <laughs> and this was before anything wrong was done between them, and he's like, tell me how he does the fishbowl trick, and... Alfred Borden knew it the whole time. He's like, he's pretending to be a cripple. That's the act. That's the magic, is the sacrifice mm-hmm. to make a good trick. Rupert Angier never believed in the sacrifice. Yeah. He wanted a beautiful, amazing trick that was going to shock the audience right then and there because that's what he enjoyed the most about it. And it was so twisted, you know, especially when Borden finally started to be, like when he tied up his double and... You know, he was theatrical there, stole the spotlight to give himself some publicity. In that moment, you can tell Rupert Andrews, like, he just bested me in my own game. Yeah. Alfred Borden from the get-go was a better magician. Yes, much, much. And, you know, the movie itself, I remember at the end, when you see the twist, it's like, oh my god, I didn't see that coming. No, I, unpredictable. Never, never thought about a twin. And the tomato meter gave this a 77%, which is shockingly low. Uh, This should be like 90. Audience score 92%. And this is where I question, out of the 206 critical reviews of this film, it's at a 77%. And the 250,000 reviews given by the audience, and it's at a 92%. Who the fuck are you to like even rate? (laughs) How do you get paid doing that? That's my question. Um, Just being nitpicky for no reason, but... According to Corey Woodruff, in terms of building narratives on top of narratives, this is one really cemented uh, Nolan as one of cinema's most cerebral storytellers. I agree. The Prestige is a thrilling film, but it requires multiple viewings to better understand the narrative, uh, according to Daniel Solzman, which we might actually have to rewatch yes, it. I think I will. <laughs> I've watched it six times, and I love it every single time I watch it. Uh, Sean uh, Axemaker said, Appearances aside, this is not a story of stage magic. It is a thriller of obsession built on the dramatic fulcrum of driving vengeance. What would you say the main draw of this movie is, Mama? The main draw. What what would you say, I'm going to go watch this movie again to to watch because of this? To watch the characters is psychological. What, What us wanting something, how that can just throw away everything about life that we love and just we focus on one thing, the obsession. Yeah. I mean, how you can so easily fall into that. It is very easy. It mm-hmm. really is. And you see that very well with Rupert Angier and then with Albert, Alfred Borden trying to clasp on to what little he had left. And, you know, from the get-go, he never had much, but he did have his daughter. And, and he loved, no matter which twin was in that day they cared for that little girl like it was their own and if you watch the beginning of the movie the opening line is are you watching closely and then alfred borden's last watching closely enough apparently because 
Yeah. Alfred Borden's last words were, are you watching closely? He drops his lucky rubber ball as he's getting hung, and then his twin drops it at the same time, well, in the film's sake, but he drops the ball, bounces it right up to Angier, shoots him, yes. and he's like, and I, I, Angier is just dumbfounded. He's like, I lost. I, I'm, He's dead. He's going to die. He's in my safe of secrets, in a sense, and... Rupert Angier, this is why he might be one of my favorite characters in cinema history. Not only was his obsession insane, but he threw everything out of the window, completely a loose cannon with infinite funds. The machine that Nikolai Tesla made for him quite literally oh, duplicated right. him, but transferred him away, and he would have to kill his copy every single time. This man killed over... He had a hundred showings... Of his act, his final show, hundred. I don't know what he got to. I think it was the last one, and I, I he killed over ninety of himself. So imagine shooting yourself over and over again. And he let Alfred Borden go to the gallows for shooting and killing him, and he had he wasn't dead. Yep. And he didn't care that the little girl was going to go into yep. a. a, a he want uh, the workhouse. The workhouse. And he literally helped, framed his own death, framed Borden to get him hung so that he could take his little girl and put a, put her in the workhouse, essentially, and get all of his secrets before he dies. That was his endgame goal. It's sinister, but also just the obsession aspect completely ruined him. Because at the start, you see two young, ambitious magicians that really wanted to create something and be innovative, be flareful, be entertaining be fun be memorable mm -hmm. and they were memorable yeah, right. I was gonna, as you're saying i'm thinking yeah well, two men memorable for well technically three men but two magicians mm -hmm. driving each other to the extremes of that yeah when they could have cooperated and done tremendous they, things if they worked together yep. they would have been the best yep. ever but it was about what is your secret? What's in your cipher? What's your secret? What's your secret? Mm -hmm. And they just and, and Christian Bale's character Alfred Borden tells Rebecca Hall's character um, right off rip when they first meet. And the secrets are a magician's life. If you don't have those, then the trick is worth nothing. What is that one thing they were saying? The trick is told when it is sold. Oh, no, the prestige. The prestige, oh, okay. There's three phases to every trick. You have to show something. Oh, gosh, I don't know the actual... The um, promise? Yeah, it's like the promise. Hold on, let me pull it up online real quick because I mean, we have I to. Remember now what I... The prestige opening trick stages. Um, the pledge. So, okay. Did I just see... Bear with me, folks. Okay. So, the prestige. Let me just get this here. I remember because he's explaining it to the little girl. Or he's... It's like the pledge, the prestige... And like something else, but yeah, no, it's it's uh, definitely 
a very important part about it for sure. Um, and definitely make sure the opening scene is something you pay attention to. Yes. But Mom, Mom, thanks for hopping on this oh, episode. And thank you everyone out there for listening in. Uh, if you want more episodes like this, or if you like these movie reviews, definitely uh, stay tuned. But or if you Ma- disagree with them after you see the movie. Yeah. No, if you disagree, then definitely hate on us. Um, but, <laughs> Mom, Mom, any last things you wanted to say about The Prestige before we wrap this up? Not Nothing except that... Again, oh, we didn't say another, our rating. I was going to say it's another 10. I mean, yeah, I would say it's a 10 out of 10. Two hours and so many minutes, and it went by so quickly. It does go by quickly. Mm-hmm. It, it does. I think that's just because of the pacing of the movie. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. And there's not many movies like this at all. Um, but I do... I, I forget what the actual... I think it's called The Pledge. And then it's... It's like when you make something appear. And then the second act of it is you di- you make it disappear. And then the third part about it is you bring it back. And that's called The Prestige is the climax of the of the trick. I think that's really interesting how they broke it down like that. And the movie's kind of laid out in that format it is, too. It is. Like and it's interesting. The the consistency from magic and magic terminology to the writing and the parallels to some of the stories are pretty insane and just shows you Christopher Nolan is a genius. He I totally wasn't even at first when he he was in it, I think don't go back to his Batman character. Don't keep it but oh no, Christopher don't. Nolan, the director. Oh, Christopher Nolan. I'm sorry, I thought you said Christopher Bale. Christopher, I don't know directors very well, but this this is really good. Yeah, no, so. I mean, and this came out in '06, so this was a year after mm-hmm. Batman Begins and two years before The Dark Knight. So Christian Bale was kind of still early on in his career, um, a, a certified actor at that point after American Psycho. But um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did not see that movie. Oh, I got to show you that. Yeah. Okay, so American Psycho and, uh, gosh, what was the other one we were talking about earlier? We'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll have another whole <laughs> episode regarding this type of thing, and we'll uh, get that posted probably in a couple weeks. And got to give us some time to watch these movies, though. And um, But, again, thank you, everyone, for tuning into this episode. Hopefully you all enjoyed it. Uh, Mom, Mom, thank you again for hopping oh, on the podcast. Well, thank you for including I think me. this is your... Uh, What's this, your third or second episode? Second. Your second episode on. Yeah. So we'll definitely have to get another uh, movie episode out or something, or maybe even a Philadelphia Eagles episode after the season's done or something. Yes. I know they just had their bye week, so that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Um, By the time this is up, it may be well past that point. So hopefully, if you're listening, go Eagles for for my mom's sake, uh, because she will kill me if they don't win. I, I am not suicidal. I if I, I'm dead after an Eagles loss, it's my mom. <laughs> no, it's, they can't lose. See, they've got to win and win and win. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they look good. Don't worry. But everyone out there, thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you follow us on all of our social media platforms at Tea Time Reports. All support is greatly appreciated. If you're out there listening from Brussels to Greece to South Africa, it's greatly appreciated. We love you guys. Take care. This is Trevor and my mom signing out. Bye-bye.